All right, everyone, open up your Bibles to Romans chapter 7. Title of tonight's message is Schizophrenic Christianity. And as per usual with most of these titles, I'm putting in a little bit of my quirkiness to it, but honestly, when we look at these chapters, as we go through by the end of the night, it does kind of make sense, and hopefully you'll kind of see that with chapter 7, because chapter 7 is one of those chapters in the book of Romans where it can get confusing, and we're going to kind of breeze over some uh, potentially confusing things here at the beginning of the chapter. But man, I'll tell you what, with everything that God has been doing, we come across chapters 4 and 5, and again, those were the chapters talking about salvation. And this comes after chapters 1, 2, and 3 are talking about sin. Sin being this problem of the human condition that every single person that is born on this planet is born into sin. They're in bondage to it, just like Israel was in bondage to the, to the Egyptians in the book of Exodus. And there's no way that we can deliver ourselves from that sin. We needed a deliverer, just like Moses was for the Israelites. So we come across chapters 4 and 5 talking about salvation, and last week we entered into chapter 6, and we begin this new, I guess, uh, what are you going to say, I guess a volume. If chapters 1 through 3 are one volume... And then chapters 4 and 5 are a second volume. This third volume of the book of Romans is dealing specifically with Christians. And I say that because it's very, very important to understand that chapters 6, 7, and 8 are not talking about salvation. They're talking about what happens to someone who by faith trusts Christ and His payment of the shed blood on the cross as payment for their sin. Someone who by faith trusts that and receives the gift of salvation, he's talking about what happens to them after the fact. Last week we saw that the Christian was dead to sin. That this kind of spiritual circumcision takes place on the inside where your soul is disconnected from the body of this death. And we're dead to sin. We're not, we're not uh, encapsulated or in bondage to it anymore. And so tonight with chapter 7, I say all that because chapter 7 kind of just blends right in, straight from chapter 6, talking about this body that we find ourselves in. For, if you guys remember, last week we talked about there's two different types of, I guess, states of being. You have your standing before God... And you guys remember, what was that phrase I kept saying again and again? For those of you who are saved, what position do you find yourselves in? What's your standing before God? You are in, you're in Christ. If your sins have been justified or declared not guilty by faith, you are positioned in Christ. Oh goodness, now I really can't spell. Positioned. In Christ. That is your standing. That is chapter 6. When God looks down at you, He does not see your sinfulness anymore because when He looks down on you, He sees you in Christ. So what does He see? The perfection, the holiness, the righteousness of His Son, Jesus Christ. He does no longer see your sin because your sin is dead. However, even though the Bible, we said that this phraseology here, it means that you are perfect from God's eyes. Are you and I perfect on a daily basis? No. Absolutely not. And that's why... Oh, yeah. Okay, I was second-guessing myself for a second. No, it was not a spelling issue. That's why our state... Our state of being changes on a daily basis. Even though positionally our standing before God is we're in Christ, our state is, man, I still have a body of flesh and I still sin, practically speaking, on a daily basis. And that's what chapter 7 is all about that we're going to cover. On your outline, look at the introduction. You ever have days when you're seeking to walk with God and are even intentional to avoid the things that cause you to stumble and yet you still end up committing sin at the end of the day to some degree? You guys ever have those days? Well, if so, you are not alone. You're not. In fact, the Apostle Paul struggled with this every day of his saved life. If the greatest Christian who ever lived struggled with this reality, do you think you're going to experience anything different? 
Thankfully, the Holy Spirit had Paul dust off some space in his dissertation on righteousness to talk about this very notion to help us in our daily struggle to walk with God. And the first thing he mentions, if chapter 6, he's painting out the picture that all of us who are saved, who have been justified by the blood of the Lamb, by the blood of Jesus Christ, if we are dead to sin, meaning that sin has no more eternal power on us anymore, then chapter 7 and point 1 on your outline, he begins by talking about how we are dead to the law. We talked about this in chapter 2 and chapter 3, how the law, the Old Testament law, it was the, the binding agent, the, the binding Old Testament power that, that really it showed mankind his need for a Savior. No one in the Old Testament could keep the law. And so point letter, or point letter A, we see that we have freedom from the law after salvation. Look with me in verse 1. Now again, bear with me because these first four verses can seem a little confusing at first. He says in verse 1, Know ye not, brethren, for I speak to them that know the what? Okay, so he's talking about the law here. He's going to quote some Old Testament passages of Scripture. Keep that in mind. Context is key. How that the law hath dominion over a man as long as he liveth. For the woman which hath an husband is bound by the law to her husband so long as he liveth. But if the husband be dead, she's loosed from the law of her husband. So then, if while her husband liveth, she be married to another man, she shall be called an adulteress. But if her husband be dead, she is what? Free from that what? Law. So that she is no adulteress, though she be married to another man. Now I have to stop there. Because just because verses 1 through 3 show up in Romans, which is the very... First book of the New Testament that is strictly to and for a church talking about the day and the age in which we live in. Many pastors and Christians take this passage out of context and use it to say that if somebody has ever been divorced before, they better not remarry. Otherwise, they're going to be in sin. But again, context is key. What did he say that this entire, these three verses, where was these three verses and this rule found at? It's found in the, the Old Testament law. He's quoting this here, and there's a reason why he's quoting this here. Not to say that this is some doctrine that we need to follow in the church. No, look at verse 4 for the answer. Wherefore, my brethren... Ye also are become dead to the what? By the body of Christ. That ye should be married to another, even to him who is raised from the dead. Who's that? Christ. That we should bring forth fruit unto God. The entire reason he went through that Old Testament law is to show you guys two things. Number one, that law has got no more power to those of you who are in Christ. To those of you who by faith have trusted in the shed blood of Christ and received the gift of His Son dying on the cross for your sins. That law has no more power over you. So this can't be a doctrine on divorce and remarrying in the New Testament. It's not. And secondly, he uses it to paint a picture. To paint a picture to illustrate verse one, or the first point that I just mentioned. If our body is the husband, and the woman is a picture of the soul, it's a type, it's a representation of the soul. As we just studied last week in chapter 6, at the moment we received Christ, at the moment we entered into Christ, our body of sin, our body of flesh, died. And our soul was now free to be married and joined to or placed in Christ. He's using this Old Testament passage to paint a picture of what happened to you at the moment of salvation. Not only are you dead to the eternal consequences of sin, sin no, no longer has its grip on you. If you're in here and you're a Christian today, do you realize that you have the power to overcome sin? Whereas before you got saved, you never had the power to say no to sin. You had to obey it. You had no other choice. You were the slave to sin. And then when Christ came down and died on the cross, and you saw that, and you heard the gospel, and you chose by faith to receive that gift, 
you were set free. You were set loose. Now any sins that we commit, we really choose to commit. And he's saying it's the exact same thing with the law. We don't need to go through all of these things to obey God. We don't need to go through all of these sacrifices that the Old Testament had. It's not about good works. It's dead to us because salvation has always been about a relationship. That's the point he's illustrating here. So on the outline, point one, the law has no more power over us who are in Christ. We have Galatians 2.19 up here on the screen. For I through the law am what? To the law that I might live unto God. We talked about this extensively last week. If you need a reminder, go back and listen to the podcast because really uh, my entire philosophy for this entire senior high and for all of you guys was poured out in that message. So if you need a reminder or if you were not here, I highly encourage you to go back and listen to that message. I didn't get any emails from your parents about the college talk, so yay for that. I guess that went over well. Law has no more power over us who are in Christ. And look at it again at the end of verse 4 in Romans 7. Why are we married to Christ? Why are we in a relationship to Him that raised from the dead? That we should bring forth what unto God? Fruit. Fruit. Note how in chapter 6, verse 22, he says, But now being made free from sin and become the servant to God, ye have your fruit unto holiness and to the end everlasting life. Now see, we're dead to sin so that we could bring forth fruit unto Him. We're dead to the law for the exact same reason. The law, the Old Testament, has no more binding power over us because it's all about grace. It's all about a relationship with Christ. If you are close with Christ, if you are close with Jesus in your walk with Him, you will bear fruit. We're going to talk about fruit tonight, so pay attention because that's key. He starts off with this. If you want to write down a verse, if you're taking notes, put down Philippians 1.11. Paul is encouraging the Philippian church. He says, be filled with the fruits of righteousness. Let me ask you a question. Do you have any? Philippians 1.11. Do you have any fruits of righteousness? Are you filled with them? In other words, do you have evidence that shows you're in Christ? Is there any proof that your life has changed from before you got saved? What proof is there? What fruit do you have? What evidence shows that you're a Christian? That question is going to come up again and again tonight. Point two. Now that we're dead to the law and the law has no more power over us, now we can serve out of a love for our Savior rather than a must from the law. See, in the Old Testament, they had to obey the law. They had to go through all those ordinances. Now, anything that Christ asks of us, it's a volunteer operation. We don't have to do anything. But if we love Him and if we want to serve Him and we want to have a relationship with Him, you will want to please Him. Do you not want to do nice things for your friends? Or do you just want them to do nice things for you? Because a lot of Christians are like that with Christ. Where it's all about what can I get out of Him and not what can I do for Him because He is so worthy. Because even when I was a sinner and I was dead in my sin, He died on the cross for me. When He was being whipped, He was thinking of me. When He was being spit upon and ridiculed and mocked while He was hanging on this cross, blood dripping down and soaking and staining the wood, I was on His mind. <coughs> and if I get no other thing from Him for the rest of my life, am I willing just to give my all to Him because He's worthy after what He went through? That's a question to ponder throughout your day. It's a question I don't ponder enough throughout mine. Look at verses 5 and 6. For when we were in the flesh, the motion of sins, which were by the law, did work in our members to bring forth fruit unto death. But now... Again, he's not talking about the lost anymore. He's not talking about salvation. He's talking to those who are in Christ, who are saved. But now we are delivered from the law, that being dead wherein we were held, that we should serve in newness of spirit and not in the oldness of the letter. In other words, to put this plainer for you guys, you know how sometimes your parents will ask you to do something? 
and you do it. And then there's other things that they ask you to do and you don't want to do it, but you do it anyway. That's the letter of the law. There's a phrase like this that shows up throughout the Bible, and that's called the letter of the law. It's doing something because you have to do it. Has there been anything that your parents have asked you to do, or maybe they haven't asked you to do, but you just went ahead and did that extra mile and did it for them because you wanted to do something for them? That's called the spirit of the law. That's doing things not because you have to, but because you want to. That's what he's talking about here. See, in our relationship with Christ, because it's not religion, it's a relationship, he doesn't want you to have to serve him. He doesn't want you to have to come to church. He doesn't want you to have to invite your friends to church. He doesn't want you to have to read your Bible. He doesn't want you to have to go to him in prayer. He just wants you to want to be with him. That's a relationship. And that's what he wants. That's the spirit of the law. Check out on the screen here. 2 Corinthians 3, 6. He talks about this more. Who also hath made us able ministers of the New Testament. Not of the letter of the Old Testament where you had to. But of the spirit. For the letter killeth. Mark it down. If you think that your way to heaven is about doing a whole bunch of good works and doing a whole bunch of things by the book, by the letter, it's going to kill. <laughs> it will separate you forever in eternity from God in a place that He never designed for you to go to. But if you choose through a relationship, receive Jesus Christ as your Savior, Spirit giveth life. Look at Galatians 6, 15, or 2 Corinthians 5, 17 also up here. Therefore, if any man be where? In Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become what? New. Because he's talking about the New Testament that's in his blood, not the Old Testament, the letter of the law. If... You claim to have received Christ and you are in a relationship with Him. Question for you. Are you a new creature? Are you completely different after getting saved than you were before you got saved? Because the Bible says that should be the case. That's part of the fruit, the evidence that shows you're a new creature. You're saved. You're in Christ. Questions to ponder. You're going to have to ponder these the rest of the night. Mm. And we got time. Turn over to Colossians 3. Hold your place in Romans 7. Turn over to Colossians 3. Let's start keeping tally of every time I've said, yeah, we got time. And then fact checking it afterwards to see, yeah, we didn't have time. So we spent a lot of time in Colossians 2 and 3 last week because they are almost simpatico chapters with Romans chapter 6. And the, the rest of Romans 3 is really no different. Look at verse 10. And have put on the who? New man, which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him. The Bible says, and you want to, might want to jot this verse down because it's going to come up later, that though our outward man perish, you guys realize that every single day you're getting older, which means every single day you're getting closer to death, which means every single day you're perishing one step more. The Bible says, though our outward man perish, our inward man, because not only are we in Christ, Christ is also in us. You have a revived spirit, a born-again spirit. The inward man is renewed daily. That's if you're walking with him, if you're in a relationship with him. Which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him. Jump down to verse 12. He says, put on therefore as the elect of God. Last week we saw a whole bunch of things you're supposed to put off. Put off the thoughts and the feelings you have that are going to cause you to stumble in your walk. Now he's saying, put these on therefore as the elect of God. Holy and beloved bowels of mercies. Are you merciful to others? Are you willing to overlook the offenses they give towards you? Kindness. Are you kind? Or are you too cool for school? Are you too tough? Humbleness of mind. Are you humble? Or are you better than everybody? 
meekness, long-suffering, forbearing one another and forgiving one another. If any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. And above all these things, put on charity, which is the bond of perfectness. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to the which also ye are called in one body, and be ye thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom. So question, do these things happen to you on a regular basis? Or are you finding the opposite of most of the things we went through in this list to be true? Are you putting on the new man? Have you been changed and transformed by the blood of Christ? Flip back to Romans 7. Things to ponder. Because those are the things that we just read in Colossians 3. Those are the things he wants you to serve him with. Naturally, out of an overflow of your heart because you love him. Not because you have to. Letter of the law. But because you want to because of how good he's been to you. Spirit of the law. I don't want to do the dishes or clean the room because I have to. I want to do it because, man, my parents are awesome. And they're feeding me and giving me a place to live. Letter B. Not only that, but we're going to see here in a little bit the laws working before salvation during the, during the age of accountability. All right. What is that phrase? The age of accountability. So one of the things we're going to look at here in a little bit, and there's... Scriptures elsewhere in the Bible that backs it up is that, of course, God being a merciful and a gracious God, there are certain people groups, ages, if you will, that God, if they die without hearing the gospel, He's not going to send them to hell. Case in point, babies and young children. God is gracious and merciful. He says again and again and again all throughout the Bible how precious children are in His sight. In history, and through many churches, and even still kind of purported today, there have been people who claim that they are Christians, who name the name of Christ, and have taken advantage of couples who have lost babies in infancy, or in sickness and illness, and they've taken advantage of those grieving parents and said, you know, if you were to give money to our church, we would be able to pray your baby out so that he's taken care of. That's religion. That is what God says that he hates. Because the Bible doesn't say anything about that need in it for, for kids. Let's continue reading. And again, some of the cross-references will make sense. I find it interesting that he brings this up here in Romans chapter 7. Look at verse 7. What shall we say then? Is the law sin? God forbid. Nay, I had not known sin but by the law. For I had not known lust, except the law had said, Thou shalt not covet. Isn't it interesting that he highlights that of the Ten Commandments? Covetousness. And you see here how it's tied with lust. Because really the word lust, it means a wanting of something more than what God has allowed you to have. We talked about that last week with covetousness. So that's the 10th commandment right there. Covetousness, to want something. And he ties it with lust, which automatically ties with thou shalt not commit adultery. And really when you think about it, as we saw last week in Colossians 3 verse 5, covetousness is idolatry. So that takes care of the first two commandments right there. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Thou shalt not make any graven image. And, oh, a thief. <laughs> the reason that somebody steals something is because they want what they can't have. In fact, you go to Exodus 20, you'll actually read how covetousness, he starts, starts listing all these things. Of, Don't covet your neighbor's spouse, your neighbor's uh, uh, donkey, your neighbor's things, his house, his possession. That's what thieves take. They take what's not theirs. Five of the ten, just off the top of my head, deal with this thing of covetousness. So covetousness, when you think about it, deals with a multitude of other types of specific sins. And I think you can make an argument indirectly that covetousness also deals with the other Ten Commandments too. He says, you know what? I hadn't known that I was a sinner had it not been for God's law telling me that there's right and there's wrong. So of course the law is good. 
that should be something that we implement with our friends at school. Go through the good test with them. Look at verse 12. Again, he continues, Wherefore the law is holy, and the commandment holy and just and good. Look at verse 13. Don't get confused by this. Listen up. Was then that which is good made death unto me? In other words, did God do this just to kill me, just to make it so that I had no hope? And what's the answer? He says, God forbid. That wasn't his purpose. His purpose was to reveal sin to you. Look what he says in verse 13. But sin that it might appear sin, working death in me. This is where we're going somewhere with the age of accountability. By that which is good, that sin by the commandment might become exceeding sinful. You know what he's saying there? You ever, any of you guys serve in the kids ministry? Or have very, very little brothers and sisters? Cousins? You ever tell them not to do something? And what is their response usually? Yeah. Or no. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That sin by the commandment might become exceeding sinful. That's kind of what it was like. Whenever the law is presented to a sinner, they're presented with a choice here. Man, I can either let this feeling of ugh, uneasiness convict me to respond to God's gracious calling, or, man, now that I know that I can't do it, I'm just going to do more of it. That's what's seen in a little child, and that's what's seen when you get to, man, 21, 18, 21, and then just all of your 20s. And some people are in their 30s, and that's why you see people in their 40s having midlife crises because they realize that they never grew up from 18 because they just continue to sin exceedingly. So he's saying the law on point number one is used to reveal our sin and need for a sin bearer. Again, we've talked before, Galatians 3.24, the law is a schoolmaster to bring you to Christ. It's to show you that you can't keep the Ten Commandments. You can't keep the law. You need someone who did keep the law. A perfect sin bearer who never sinned, Jesus Christ. So, he's talking about the law and how good it is, but look at verse 8, how he continues with this, and this is where we're getting to this whole thing about babies and others. But sin, taking occasion by the commandment, wrought in me all manner of concupiscence, all kinds of lust and covetousness, in other words, uncontrolled. For without the law, sin was what? For I was alive without the law once. But when the commandment came, sin revived, and I what? Died. And the commandment which was ordained to life I found to be unto death. For sin, taking occasion by the commandment, deceived me, and by it slew me. It killed him. So in other words, what is it that he's saying here? Point two. Although all are born in sin, because you have a two... God originally made man a three-part being. When Adam and Eve fell, you're now a two-part being because they lost that spirit connection with God. And so now every baby they had after that isn't a two-part being. So although all are born in sin, sin lies inactive until a soul learns right from wrong. There's two verses we've looked at in the previous weeks that I purposefully skipped over. <gasps> I forgot Galatians 6.15. You're a new creature. There, you get it. I purposefully skipped over these verses as far as giving commentary to them because I was saving it for this one. But you guys remember Romans 4.15 when he says, Because the law worketh wrath, where it no law is, there is no transgression. And did you also catch in Romans 5.13, he said, For until the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed where there is no law. Who remembers from chapter 5, what does that word impute mean? It's an accounting term. Righteousness was imputed unto those of you who received Christ. It means to be put into your account. Sin is not put into your account where there is no law, where there is no knowing of right and wrong. Now, every single person, when they're born, they're born in sin. But sin lies dormant. A baby may be born, he may be born in sin, and he's dead in sin, but sin's not imputed where there's no knowledge of right and wrong. Look again in verse 9. I was alive without the law once, but when the commandment came, sin revived and I died. When the law shows up, Sin wakes up, 
and this body becomes dead and stuck to your soul. You see, a child and a baby has no eternal understanding and consequence of right and wrong. That's where we get this phrase that's often thrown around. It's not in the Bible, but it's a phrase we use called the age of accountability. That there's a certain age where God is very gracious. That if a child dies during that age or before that age, He takes them straight into heaven. Case in point, Psalm 127.3, just to show you how much God cares for them. Children are in heritage of the Lord and the fruit of the womb is His reward. And do you guys remember when a certain king who is likened unto... Uh, or a king, a man like unto God's own heart, when he committed adultery because he was covetous and the law wrought in him all manner of concupiscence, when he had adultery with another man's wife, ended up murdering the guy because he wanted her, six commandments, covetous, ended up murdering her husband. Who am I talking about? Remember what happened to his baby? Yeah. And here's his response. But now he is dead. Wherefore should I fast? Can I bring him back again? Note his response. I shall go to him, but he shall not return unto me. I'll just say this, because I kind of already teased it. Any church, any pastor, any priest, anybody who stands behind a pulpit with a Bible or some other writings of the faith who says that babies die and go to hell is a heretic. And he has absolutely no idea what he's talking about. Because even David himself knew that that baby was in the presence of God. And praise his name when you think about the millions upon millions that have been aborted since going back to the 70s and before that. They're all in the presence of God. And even for children who die young, but not only that, look on your outline. Babies, young children, the mentally handicapped, etc. They are given tremendous grace from God because of this. But that's a problem for you guys. Because you're all now accountable. Because we just went through the law. We went through just six of the commandments. And if you're honest with yourself... You've broken every single one of those. And we've seen that in the weeks before. So don't think you're in on that. Do you have fruit that shows you're a new creature? Let's get to point number two here. This is the real meat of Romans chapter 7. See, last week we were talking about the standing that we have before God. We're no longer standing in sin because we've trusted Christ but we still sin. And as I said last week, that's where this chapter comes into play. What do we do about, practically speaking, my state of being every single day of sin, whether in thought, word, or deed? Well, welcome, my friends, to point number two, the Christian's problem in the flesh. You're positioned in Christ, but you got a problem in the flesh. Welcome, letter A, to the daily battle of spiritual warfare. Hold your place here in Romans 7 and turn over to Galatians 5. I don't care if we don't have time for this. I'm making time for this one. Sounds like you anyway. Very much so. Christian, do you want to know why you have so much of a struggle to get up and read your Bible in the morning? Do you want to know why you have so much nervousness to go and talk with a friend and invite them to church? Do you want to know why you continue to struggle with that sin that death so easily beset you? The rest of Romans 7 and the passages we're going to look at here, explain it. Look at verse 16. This I say then, walk in the Spirit and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. I used that verse last week, but here's more to the story. Verse 17. For the flesh lusteth against the spirit. That word lusteth there, it literally means to turn upon. It means to war against. It means to backstab. It means it is going at it with the spirit. The flesh lusteth against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. Do you feel it on a daily basis? 
And these are contrary the one to the other, so that ye cannot do the things that ye would or that you would want to. But if ye be led of the Spirit, capital S, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are manifest. These are the things that fight against you every single day of your life. Adultery. Remember, Jesus said, it's not only just one of the Ten Commandments. Jesus said, you look upon someone with lust, you've broken it. Fornication. That's any kind of sexual intercourse. Any kind. Any kind of sexual intercourse outside of marriage. Uncleanness. That's any kind of sexual sin. That's yourself. Lasciviousness. That's a strong desire for evil. Idolatry. You know what the Bible says? That stubbornness is as the sin of idolatry. You're stubborn because you're your own God. You want to do things your way. You want to be in charge of your life. I advise you to read and reread Romans chapter 6 because you're dead if you're in Christ. It's not your life anymore. Witchcraft. You know the Bible says in 1 Samuel that rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft? Do you rebel against your parents? Do you rebel against your teachers? Do you think you know better and more than the authorities that are in your life? Witchcraft. Hatred. Variance. Emulations. That means that it's a, 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 an ungodly jealousy. Variance means you're always picking a fight. Wrath. Strong hatred. Strife. Constantly getting into little squabbles with people. Seditions. Again, rebelling. Going against your leaders. Heresies. Believing false doctrine. Envyings. Murders. Drunkenness. Revelings. Fighting. And such like. Of the which I tell you before, as I have also told you in time past, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. You might want to circle that word inherit. He did not say if you do these things, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. He says you will not inherit. We talked about this before when we did our second Peter study. You have as a Christian who is in Christ an inheritance that you are building up. Basically, since the moment you got saved until the moment you are in heaven, everything you do, one day you are going to stand before what's called the judgment seat of Christ and you are going to give an account, not for your sin, you're going to give an account for your service. Romans 7 is talking about service. And you're going to receive of the Lord that which is done in your body, whether it be good or bad. Your sin's dealt with at the cross if you're saved. He's not going to judge you for your sin. But you think about that passage in 2 Corinthians 5.10 that I just quoted. If you're not serving God and you have no crowns, no inheritance that you can bring and lay before His feet, you don't think the question of why is that's going to come up? It's going to be because of things like the sins of the flesh that we got involved in. You do these things, you are burning up your inheritance and you might have nothing to lay at his feet. And you're going to look at him and the nails in his hands, the nail in his feet that told you how much he loved you, the thorns on his brow, they showed you how he bore so much shame to love you. You're going to look at him in the face and all that he gave for you will become apparent when your faith is made sight and you'll be empty handed. If as a Christian you live like this. It's a war. The flesh lusteth against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. But, verse 22, the fruit of the spirit is love. We've been talking tonight about evidence that you're a new creature. Is there proof that you have entered into Christ? This is it. I don't care how long you've been going to this church. I don't care who your parents are. I don't care how many church camps you've been to. You look at each and every single one of these nine things we're going to look at, and you ask yourself, is this in my life? Is this evidence? The fruit of the Spirit is love. Do you love God? 1 Corinthians 8.3 says, If any man love God, the same is known of him. 
People know you as loving God. Do you love His Word? Do you love people? Joy. Are you constantly a Debbie Downer? Are you constantly moody? Don't make, a, don't make a, a mistake here. Christ himself said, in the world, you're going to have tribulation. It's not going to be all sunshine and rainbows living the Christian life. It's going to be tough. He didn't say happiness is a fruit of the Spirit. Happiness is a state. That changes daily, hourly. Is there a joy beyond the pain, beyond the sorrow, beyond the moodiness? Are you moody? and frumpy, but then you remember who you are as a child of God and it changes things around. Do you have a joy? Are you joyful? Show in your countenance. Most of these fruits will show and will be evident. Peace. Do you have peace? Are you constantly at ends and at odds with yourself? Long-suffering. Do you get easily offended? Do you always get offended? Or do you suffer long? Are you extremely patient with people, knowing that people are sinners? Even if they're saved, they're still in a sinful body. Gentleness. Are you gentle? Are you kind? Goodness. Faith. Do you demonstrate that you have faith? Do you trust God with the things that you go through on a regular basis? Meekness. That's not weakness. Don't think because it rhymes that that's what it means. Meekness is strength under control. Temperance. Do you have control over yourself? Or do you give in at every whim of temptation? Do you have feet that are swift to run to evil? These are the, this is the fruit. Note it doesn't say fruits. The fruit, which means that all of it to some degree or another is going to be in you if you're in Christ, if you're a new creature, if you are in a relationship with Him. Are there moments that you struggle? Yeah, that's the point of this passage. You're in a war, Christian. I'm asking you to take a look back at your life since the moment you prayed to receive Christ and ask yourself, do I see evidence of these in my life? Or do I see nothing? If you're having a hard time seeing anything, one of two things. There's no third option. You are either lost or you have allowed sin to have such a rule over you and to completely overrun you that you have absolutely no idea if you're genuinely saved or not because you've let sin have its heyday. You've let the flesh win in the battle of the spirit versus the flesh. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Keep your place in Romans 7. Don't worry, Romans 7 is going to fly when we go back there. These passages kind of lay the groundwork for what we're going to look at in Romans 7 because there's a couple verses in Romans 7 that when you read it, it sounds like you're reading a Dr. Seuss Mad Lib. And you'll see it when I read it. These passages will help us to get past that Mad Lib. Look at verse 1. Actually, look back at chapter 2. This is a little review for those of you guys who are here on Sundays who are going through how to study the Bible, looking at rules of Bible study. A couple weeks ago, we looked at comparing Scripture with Scripture. And he says in verse 14 of chapter 2, 1 Corinthians, the natural man, he's talking about a lost man there, a natural man, someone who by nature is a sinner, receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him, neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discern. This is why we talked in verse 13, you need to compare scripture or spiritual things with spiritual to know the Bible. But a lost person can't know the Bible. It needs to be spiritually discerned. He that is spiritual judgeth all things, yet he himself is judged of no man. Who hath known the mind of the Lord that we may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. You get the picture for context's sake? Because context matters. It's another rule of Bible study. Come back Sunday. 
He's talking about spiritual man and a natural man, a saved man and a lost man, in other words. Now, with that in mind, now look at chapter 3, verse 1. And I, brethren, could not speak unto you as unto spiritual. That's another rule of Bible study. He used the word as. I could not speak unto you as unto spiritual. Now, who's he talking to here? Who are the people in Corinth? And they are a church in Corinth. These are saved people. But he's saying, I couldn't talk to you as though you were saved. As though. He's not saying they're none. But as unto spiritual. But as unto what? How did he have to speak as to them? Carnal. That tells us that there's something here. You have a natural man. And you have a spiritual man. In Romans chapter 6, if you've entered into Christ, the natural man's dead. You're dead to sin. But now you still have this body that you're in. And that's called the carnal man. And now for those of you who are saved, the battle is your spirit versus carnal. Letting this natural man who's dead come back to life and have his way with us. That's what he's talking about to the Corinthians here. He says, I have fed you with milk and not with meat, for hitherto ye were not able to bear it, neither yet now are ye able. And look at verse 3. He drops the as here. For ye are yet carnal. For whereas there is among you envying and strife and divisions, are ye not carnal and walk as Men, the men here is referring back to chapter 2 when he calls them a natural man. He's saying, you guys are saved, but because you're living in sin and listening to your flesh and obeying your flesh, you're living as though you are lost as natural man, as men. He's speaking to a church here, which is called the body of who? Yeah. And we're talking about our body and the strife and the divisions that occur in it every single day. Now flip back to Romans 7. This is your daily battle. Point one on your outline, though the body of sin has no more power over you, you now have two natures warring within you, the flesh and the spirit. Again, here's where the mad lib Dr. Seuss comes in. Follow along. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am what? Carnal. Carnal. Yeah, the body of sin that he was in bondage to is dead, but you're still going to have this body until you die, until you're raptured. For that which I do, I allow not. For what I would, what I do want to do, that do I not. But what I hate, that do I. You're seeing it now, the Dr. Seuss? You following along though? He's saying... I want to do what God wants me to do, but I don't end up doing that. I do what I want to do. I do what my flesh wants. And the things that I don't want to do in my flesh, I end up doing. Where are we at? Verse 16. If then I do that which I would not, I consent unto the law that is good. I know the difference of right and wrong. Now then it is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. Because he's letting his flesh have his heyday. For I know that in me that is in my flesh dwelleth no good thing. There is no good thing that dwells within your flesh. Stop trusting in it. For to will is present within me, but how to perform that which is good, I find not. This is the war within you. Look at Matthew 26, 41 on the screen. Watch and pray, this is Christ speaking, that ye enter not into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Man. And he continues, For the good that I would, I do not. The spiritual things I want to do, I don't do them. But the evil which I would not, that I do. Now if I do that I would not, it is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. Do you guys ever have this kind of schizophrenic battle in your mind on a daily basis? I don't want to do that, but I do want to do that, but I don't want to do that. I'm going to end up doing it. I didn't want to do that. Why did I do that? Welcome to the club. The greatest Christian on the planet Earth. He went through that too. Because there's two warring nations, two warring factions going on within you on a regular basis. Christian, 
That is, if you are in Christ. I find then a law, verse 21, that when I would do good, evil is present with me. For I delight in the law of God after the inward man, the good that I want to do, Christ in me. I want to do what his law says. I want to obey the Bible. But, verse 23, I see another law in my members warring against the law of my where? And bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my where? Body versus mind. Mind over matter. Body versus spirit, flesh versus spirit, on your outline. Point two, what do we just read? The good that you want to do, the spirit, you don't. And the evil that you don't want to commit, flesh, you do. That's the daily battle every single day of your life. That's why you struggle with the things you struggle with. Christian, if you're not in Christ, you have no choice in the matter. You're just in sin. The power to overcome, it dwells within you. We just read verses 21 and 23. Look at point one on your outline. Whenever you seek to walk with God, evil will always be present warring against you. So war a good warfare back in its face. That's what Paul told Timothy to do in 1 Timothy 1.18. But look at 2 Timothy 2, 3, and 4. You remember you're called a good soldier of Jesus Christ and every good soldier endures hardness. No man that warreth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life. Are you too comfortable here? Are you too caught up in this world system and trying to look and sound and live just like the world? If so, you are not a soldier. Not saying you're saved. You're not saved, I mean, but you're not a soldier. You're AWOL. And you've been called to be a soldier that you may please him. Remember, it's a relationship that you may please him who hath chosen him to be a good soldier. You know what the solution is to the constant schizophrenic struggle in point two? It is a broken and contrite spirit now and an eternal focus on the victory that is to come later. Contrite means sorrowful. You're broken. You want to know how? Look at verse 24. Ben, read verse 24. Oh, wretched man that I am. Stop. Say it how he said it. Say it how he said it. Oh, wretched man that I am. Stop. Say it like he said it. Yeah, bro. Oh, wretched man that I am. No. You in a battle? I know you are. Every single one of us are. Belt it like you mean it. Like he did. Oh, wretched man that I am. Louder! Oh, wretched man that I am. With passion! Oh, wretched man that I am. Oh, wretched man that I am! There's not that many exclamation points in the Bible. And he puts a big fat O right there. Because that's how serious this is. That's how serious he saw this. He hates what he is because of this daily warfare that he's in. Now you may continue. Who shall deliver me from the body of this death? Great question. And then there's the answer in verse 25. I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then when the, with the mind I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh the law of sin. You understand this is kind of a twofold thing here. That yeah, Jesus Christ will help you daily get over your sins and this constant struggle in the flesh that you have. But he's talking about a day in the future when Jesus Christ comes back and he gives us a perfect body that will never sin again. That will never sin against him ever again. Because this corruptible must put on incorruption. This mortal must put on immortality. And that happens at the rapture when we get a glorified body. Death, the body of this death, one day we'll be able to say, just like 1 Corinthians 15 says, O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? I give thanks to the Lord Jesus Christ. So what do we do in 1 Corinthians 15, 58? We are unmovable, 
always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that our work as soldiers is not in vain in the Lord. We press on. It's the passionate cry of a warrior. It's our battle cry. Psalm 34, 17, and 18. There's our man David again. The righteous cry, and the Lord heareth and delivereth them out of all their troubles. The Lord is nigh unto them that are of a broken heart. Are you broken over your sinfulness, over this daily battle that just doesn't seem like it's going anywhere? God will be nigh unto you. He'll be close unto you. And saveth such as be of a contrite spirit. He'll deliver you out of that battle. For thou desirest not sacrifice. It's not about you trying to be better at it. He doesn't want that. It's not about you trying harder. Thou delightest not in burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart, O God, thou wilt not despise. That's the passionate cry of the warrior. That's what Paul did in Romans 7.24. See, in the final bullet point, this battle will rage on until you get a perfect sinless body at the rapture. So Cast down until that day. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 10 that the weapons of our warfare, they're not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. Christian, you can bring down those strongholds and those fortresses. You can bring down those walls of Jericho that are in your life, this fleshly battle that you struggle with every single day when you want to do good, when you want to obey in the Spirit out of a love relationship of Christ, with Christ, just out of who He is and what He's done for you, you can pull those things down that are hindering that. Question is, are you? Let's bow our heads right now. We'll end here. I know it's a little bit late past 8, but we did get started a little bit later. And I'm still under an hour. But listen, honestly, even more so than Romans chapter 7, I really wanted to hit Galatians 5, and I wanted to hit 1 Corinthians 3. And it's kind of funny because uh, every head bowed and every eye closed, this message itself was kind of schizophrenic. I wanted to portray the daily battle that happens for a Christian amongst the flesh and the spirit. The problem with a message like this, though, is that for a lot of you, who have convinced yourself, maybe, and deceived yourself, maybe, that you are saved, a message like this can just give you an out for saying, yeah, I'm taken care of, I'm saved, because, yeah, all the sins that I commit, those lusts of the flesh, all of those, those fleshly things that I commit in Galatians 5, that's just part of the daily warfare I find myself in. And it become very easy for you to neglect and not think about, wait a second, do I have the fruit of the Spirit, though? Is there evidence that shows that I am in Christ? Is there evidence that shows that I have received the gift of salvation? So I want to do this. I'm going to do something a little bit different. In an honest evaluation of yourself, for those of you who are struggling with something in here and you're concerned about your spiritual walk, about your salvation, if you're just concerned and you want prayer, can you raise your hand? I see your hands. Thank you. I'm going to ask this now. If you're concerned, whether it be about your salvation or your spiritual well-being, either tonight or as soon as you can tomorrow, will you talk with a leader? Talk with a leader. We are not going to rip you. We're not going to judge you. We're not going to call you names. We are here to help you guys because we want to. You can contact us at any point about anything. But I will say this. If you are unsure whether or not you are in Christ you might want to make this your drawing in the line in the sand of getting saved. For those of you who don't know, it's as simple as ABC. You know you're a sinner. Just tell God that. You know it's your sin that put Him on the cross. But you know that He went to the cross because He loves you. And that He was your replacement. He was your sin bearer. He was your sacrificial lamb. 
Not only did He die for your sins, He rose again the third day, defeating sin and hell and death. And if you call on Him to save you, He will do it, and you will be placed in Christ, and you will be a new creature. Does anybody in here know that they need to do that, and they want to pray that tonight? Raise your hand. All right. Well, even if you didn't raise your hand, I trust that there's still people in here that need to do that. So if that's the case, a simple prayer of faith, and you're covered by the blood, and you're in Christ. Father, I do want to ask and pray that for everyone who raised their hands, that they're struggling, they're concerned about their spiritual walk, whether that means they're worried about their salvation, or maybe they're just caught up in sin, whatever it is, I pray that they would be talking with you about it. God, actually, may they go to you now before they even come to us leaders. Because you're there and you've given them access. So I pray that they'd be talking with you about it right now. And then they would come to us for help and we'd be able to guide them in Scripture to help them navigate through this, this daily battle and this daily warfare. Father, I love you and I'm very, very thankful for all of these guys that came out tonight. And I pray that they've learned something new through Romans 7 and it causes them to want to serve you. Not because they have to, but because they want to. Because they're free from the law of having to. We love you. Pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.